Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. Well, good morning. Glad to be here today. I'm uh, Cody Joyner. If uh, I haven't got to meet you yet, I am the kids director here at the Kirk. I've been here, who said four or five months or so. Uh, it's kind of been a little bit of a whirlwind, but uh, it has been a really great time. I'm uh, super excited that I get to share the word today and uh, and just get to be here with your smiling faces. So uh, we're going to get right into it this morning. We've been talking about the minor prophets uh, this week. We are going to focus in on Jonah. So we can see our timeline right up here. Uh, we're going to go right up there in the middle, kind of zoom in there on Jonah says about 7.55. Now, I say about, there is a lot, of, uh, a lot of back and forth. People wondering, was this actually happening? Was this a story to make a point? We don't really know, and we're probably not going to know <laughs> until we get to heaven. So we're not going to really focus on that part. But uh, we are going to focus on Jonah and uh, what happened with him. So if you've been in church for a while, if you've seen the VeggieTales movie... Uh, you probably know just a little bit about Jonah. A couple things about him. He was the son of Amati. And, that, and that's what we know about Amati, is that he was Jonah's dad. That's, uh, that's really it. If you go into like some of the Hebrew, like rabbinical, rabbinical, rabbi, rabbis, the rabbi people, the Mishrash, all that. If you go into that, you find out a little bit more about what possibly uh, Amati and Jonah, some extra stuff about him. But we're not going to really focus on that either. Jonah, for sure, though, he was a real person. He popped up in 2 Kings chapter 14 because he told King Jeroboam that the people uh, would get their land back, that they wouldn't be totally destroyed. Now, King Jeroboam wasn't exactly the greatest king. I can't remember if it was last week or the week before. We talked about King Jeroboam just a little bit. Not a super great guy, but God made sure that him and the people were blessed because God loves people. That's going to be a big theme this morning. Jonah's name also pops up in the New Testament. Jesus mentions him when Jesus tells the Pharisees, the only sign you will get is the sign of Jonah talking about how Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days. Jesus would be in the tomb for three days before his resurrection, before all of the great stuff that we get as sons and daughters of God. That was whenever he was mentioned in the New Testament. And then Jonah, we know he was told to go see the Ninevites. That he was going to tell them to repent, to come to God, to stop doing all the bad stuff they were doing. And that's where we kind of go. There's one other thing that I really love that I, uh, as I was reading and, you know, we've all read the story of Jonah. Like we know the story of Jonah. We've heard, we've heard about it. We've seen it on VeggieTales, like I said earlier. The one thing that kept coming up though is that Jonah was the anti-prophet. And you might think, well, wait a second. I thought we were talking about minor prophets. We, we are, but he literally did everything opposite of what we would expect a prophet to do. We expect these prophets to be like these big men of God who call down fire from heaven and get the people to repent and are really loud and forceful. And Jonah wasn't that (laughs) at all. We see Jonah right at the beginning. God tells him to go tell the people to repent. He goes the other way, the exact opposite way. 
We see that he's thrown into the water and thrown into the, the belly or the throat or wherever of a giant fish. And instead of crying out for forgiveness, Jonah praises God. <laughs> That's chapter two. We're not going to talk a whole lot about that today, but I encourage you go read that. It's a really great prayer. Then he goes to Nineveh. And instead of shouting and calling down fire, he says five Hebrew words. And that's his message to the people of Nineveh. And then whenever the people repent, instead of being thrilled, happy that people are coming to God, Jonah gets mad and he asks to die. Jonah is the anti-prophet. Everything that we expect him to do, he does the opposite. So this morning, let's go back. Let's go back right to the beginning of Jonah. Take it from the stop. And uh, here's what happens. Jonah's called to go to Nineveh. And he runs away. If you've been in Oklahoma any amount of time, you have probably heard of the play, The Man Who Ran. A couple of you. Okay, I saw a couple of people nod. Yes, Jonah, The Man Who Ran. Now, Jonah ran, but I don't think he ran because he was trying to run away from God. He wasn't that he didn't want to follow what God wanted him to do. It was more he hated the Ninevites. The people of Nineveh, they were the center of the Assyrian Empire. They were the center of all the bad that the Israelite people saw. And they did terrible things. They hurt the Israelites. They tried to conquer the Israelites. They never did because God was still with them, but they did a lot of really, really bad, rotten things. And Jonah hated them. Jonah had no love for them and the Israelites had no love for them and the Ninevites, they didn't care. They didn't like the Israelites either. But Jonah knew that God was good. Jonah knew that if He did what God told him to do. There was a really good chance that the Ninevites were going to come to know God. And that just didn't sit right with Jonah. This morning, instead of our message being about Jonah calling for the Ninevites to have a U-turn, we're going to talk more about Jonah and us needing a U-turn so that we can be who God has called us to be. From the start, Jonah didn't recognize or didn't want to recognize his issue. He hated the Ninevites. We see it all throughout the Bible. Our inclination, our, our base thing is to run from God. Adam and Eve in the garden. As soon as they found out they did something wrong, what they do? They tried to run and hide. We see Sarah, when she finds out at her old, old age that she's going to have a baby, what she do? She laughs. We see Moses. Moses is called to do this amazing thing for God to go and set the people from Egypt free. And what's he say? Uh, God, can you send somebody else? Like, it'd be cool if I didn't have to do that. Peter, hours after having this intense conversation with Jesus, telling Jesus, no matter what, Jesus, I will die with you if that's what it comes to. Jesus is arrested and Peter runs away. And then I think it's really important that this is in there. He follows from a distance. Peter still believed in God. Peter still believed in Jesus' mission, but he followed just far enough away that he wouldn't be indicted with Jesus, that he wouldn't be taken with Jesus. Paul says it in Romans 7, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Our gut reaction, our base form is to run from God. And usually it's just because we don't want to do what God's telling us to do. But sometimes, like in the case of Jonah, it's because we don't want others to have what we have. Like we said, Jonah had this history with the Ninevites. He hated them. There's not any easy way, any sugarcoat way to put it. He hated the Ninevites. 
We see it right there. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah knew, just like we do, that if we relent, if we turn away from our our sin, our wicked ways, if we turn away from that and we turn to God, that God's right there. We see it in the story of the prodigal son where the son comes home and the father is standing there with his arms wide open. He's like, just come on, man. I don't even care. I'm just happy you're home. We know that. We know that whenever we relent, whenever we stop sinning, whenever we turn away from the things that we're not supposed to do, and we turn to God that he's right there waiting for us. And Jonah loved that. But not for them. And I think we do that in our lives too. Hopefully we don't out loud do it some people do but hopefully we're not you know hopefully at least we're keeping those inside thoughts inside thoughts but sometimes we think ah you know like i love god i love what god's done for me but i'm not sure about that guy that just cut me off in traffic i don't know if he's making it to heaven we need to make sure that we have that grace that god has for us for other people as well. So just for a second, let's talk about grace this morning. Grace in the dictionary says a disposition to or an act or instance of kindness, courtesy, or clemency, a reprieve. Get that? That's a good, you know, Oxford dictionary definition. We can understand that. But I want you to think about it like this. Tim Keller said it this way. Grace is to be let into a place that you don't deserve to be. I think most of us can, can get that. Maybe we got an invite to an event or, uh, you know, a, a birthday party or I don't know, some, some big event thing that we're like, oh, wow, like that's, that's awesome. Like I wasn't expecting that. For me, it happened a couple years ago. I, uh, I'm a big Dallas Cowboys fan. So sorry if that offends anybody. Uh, got to go to the Dallas Cowboys, then Washington Redskins Thanksgiving Day game. Now it's like one of the biggest rivalries in the NFL. It's a, it's a big deal. The fact that it was happening on Thanksgiving and it was the night game made it an even bigger deal. What it made a big deal for me, though, I got to sit in a sweet box right next to Jerry Jones's box. So if you don't know, Jerry Jones, he owns the Cowboys. If I would have actually got to meet Jerry, I would have told him to sell the team. But that's here nor there. I got to go up to this special place. Probably as close to heaven on earth that I'll ever get to for me. But... So I go and I have my ticket right and I get in the stadium and we're walking and we get to go up this like special elevator or escalator. I can't remember. It was all a blur. I blacked out a little. Um, But we go and we get upstairs and then I have like a special lanyard. Like I can only get like in this certain area. And then like I got to go through this other door that all these other people didn't go through. And I'm in this special box on the 50 yard line at Jerry's World, Dallas Cowboys Stadium. And I walk in. Nobody cares about the game. (laughs) Everybody's walking around. They're talking to each other. They're eating food. They're hanging out. And I'm just like, can, can I, can I, can I sit there? There's like this, this glass wall and like these seats right on the edge. And I'm just, I don't deserve to be here. Like, this isn't me. Like I could never afford this. I could never like, I, I, I couldn't even, I don't know. I don't know how I got here, but I didn't belong there but I loved it and it was great. 
And I think the same thing can be said about us in our Christian lives. When we know the grace of God, when we know that nothing we will ever be able to do, nothing will be able to qualify us to be in God's presence other than what Jesus did on the cross. It said whenever Jesus died, that the curtain ripped in two. There was no longer a separation between us and God's presence. When we start to understand the grace that we have, man, we should want that for others. We should want that for the people that cut us off in traffic. I told first service, I use cut off in traffic a lot, probably because that's something I struggle with. Not cutting people off, but being mad at people that cut me off. We should want that for the people that wrong us. That grace, that all-encompassing love that God gives to us, we should want that for other people. If we're going to be the people that God wants us to be, our first step has to be to recognize the grace that God has given to us and given to others. Again, Jonah, I'm pretty sure Jonah knew what grace was. I'm pretty sure Jonah knew what the love of God was. I don't think that that was something that he struggled with. But what he did struggle with was letting other people have it too. So let's keep going here. Jonah eventually, we all know, Jonah eventually goes. He had to spend three days in the the belly of the fish, but he went to Nineveh. But going wasn't exactly what I think God had in mind for him. Let's look back. Jonah chapter three, verse three, it says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go through it. Jonah began going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, and I really think he said it like this. 40 more days, Nineveh will be overthrown. And that's it. I think he said it and then he walked like 100 yards and he maybe said it again. Maybe he might have just said it once. I don't know. In the Bible, it would be five Hebrew words. That's what Jonah's message of repentance to the people of Nineveh was. Now, did he say more than that? It's possible. We don't know. But that's what we got in the Bible. He said those eight words in English, five words in Hebrew. And that was his message. He did it. But he did it just enough, just to get by. Now, I, uh, not here, okay? It's not here. Like we're going to say not here. Sometimes in jobs, maybe I did just enough <laughs> just to get by so that nobody would ask questions. I worked at Quick Trip for a long time and there could have possibly, I'm not saying there was, but there could have possibly been a time where it was like, hey, Cody, go clean the fountains. I'd take the little hose and spray it a little bit and maybe scruff off a, you know, a little piece of Coke or something that dried there and called it good. I did just enough. It got done. Like I did it. But I probably could have done it a little bit better. Jonah probably could have said a few more words. He probably could have done a little bit more. But if we're going to be the people of God, the people that God wants us to be, it's going to take all of our heart not just our body, to be in it. We see from Jonah that people can still come to know God. Because it's not us. We don't save anybody. We show God. We show Jesus to people. But it's not us that saves people. It's God. So God can work through our bad attitudes. But we find that whenever we have good attitudes, whenever we do the things that God wants us to do, and we do it because we want to do it, things work out better for us. Think about it. If you've ever had to tell a child to clean their room, your child will probably go in, 
pick up just enough stuff off the floor so you'll be off their back. The students are laughing. Just enough so that nobody says anything. Nobody like comes back. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, they're not now. Hey, Billy. I don't know why we always use Billy, but Billy, you need to pick up your stuff. Just enough to make sure that gets done. If we want to be the people of God, God wants our hearts to be in it. God wants us not to just show up, check the box and move on. But God wants us to have that desire to be like him. To have that desire to do the things that he's called us to do. Because when we do, it works out better for us. David didn't say, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because it sounded good. He said it because it's true. When we have God, whenever we're doing the things that God wants us to do, It's easier. It's better. It doesn't mean things are going to be perfect. We still live in a fallen world. We still have those things that are going to be terrible and bad. But when we have God with us, when we're doing the things that God wants us to do with the intent of how God wants us to do it, things go better. And for Jonah, I think part of his problem was he just wanted to be bitter about it. He just, he wanted to be upset. Whenever we have it in our heart. Things go better. Let's keep going. Chapter three ends. The people repent. The people come to God. And Jonah gets angry. Chapter four, verse one. But to, get, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. For it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Up to this point, God has just kind of told Jonah what to do. Go here, stop, go here. But now he asks a question. And he gives Jonah a chance to answer. Now, obviously, Jonah's mad. Jonah's angry. He wants to, like, burn the world down. But God gives him a chance to answer a question. Are you in the right? If we're going to be the people that God wants us to be, we have to take an honest look at ourselves. Now, I know a lot of you don't know me very well yet, but I hate to be wrong. (laughs) I don't like it. I think a lot of you in here probably as well would say, yeah, I don't, I don't like to be wrong. Uh, there's this thing, me and my son, we love baseball, like love baseball. Like we go to drillers all the time and hang out and stuff like that and watch baseball at home. There's a lot of times where my son will be like, hey, dad, did you hear so-and-so did so-and-so and and it's like so-and-so record? I'm like, are you sure, man? And like, I'll pull up my phone or I'll open up my laptop and I'll like pull it up and look and I'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. I was wrong. About that loud, usually. We hate to be wrong. We hate it whenever we don't get things right the first time, the second time, the third time, the fourth time. We hate it. We hate being wrong. But if we're going to be the people that God wants us to be, sometimes we got to admit, yeah, I I messed that up. That was not what I thought it was going to be. Whenever God speaks to us and God says, hey, is that a good choice? That's something you should have done. We have to be open to it. Like it's not fun. Nobody likes to be corrected, but it's vital as Christians, as people of God, that we allow God to question us. And set us straight and set us on the right. Now, 
part of that takes aligning our desires with God. It's not a quick thing. It's not an easy thing. I really wish if, listen, I grew up a little bit of a Pentecostal background. I wish that like I could have been sanctified. Like right, you know, as soon as I prayed that prayer, as soon as I like asked God into my heart, as soon as I prayed that prayer, however it looks. It'd be awesome, right? It'd be great if we could flip a light switch and all of our desires match up with God's. But we know that's not realistic. Aligning our values, aligning our process with God's is a process. It takes time. And it's not comfortable, but we got to be honest. We got to be honest with ourselves and we got to be honest with God. If we really want to be the people that God's called us to be, we have to take an honest look at ourselves. Let's keep going. Chapter four, verse five. It says, Jonah had gone out and he sat down at a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Verse nine, but Jonah said to God, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? (laughs) Jonah doubles down. He says, it is. So angry. I wish I was dead. Our last thing today. If we're going to be the people that God wants us to be, we have to choose to be better rather than bitter. You know as well as I do, it's super easy to be bitter. It is super easy to point and poke at every bad thing that is going along. I promise you, there was a couple people that were really, really mad last week about not having electricity. Amen? Yeah. There's a lot of people that were mad. Again, Cody's problem. Somebody cut him off in traffic. There's a lot of people that are mad just constantly because it's easy. It's easy to be bitter. Every one of you right now probably has something in your head like, oh yeah, that makes me really mad. It's easy. Being bitter is super easy to do. And if we look at Jonah, Jonah had every right to be bitter. He had every right to be mad. The Ninevites had done terrible things to him and his people. The Ninevites had a history of warring with the Israelites. He had every right to be bitter. But I think, how much better could it have been for Jonah if he would have went along with what God told him to do? Not because, you know, he trusted God, but because he loved God, because he wanted to do the things that God wanted to do. How much better could it have been How could this story have ended differently if Jonah would have just leaned into what God was calling him to do and did it with a heart that wanted to do it? I think about for us, like it is, it's it's really hard to not be bitter. It's hard for us not to get mad at every little thing that comes across the news wire or that we hear on social media. It's hard, but we can. And I think the start of that is Philippians chapter four, verse eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put that into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now, this isn't a fake. Listen, let's, let's all be honest for a second. We're really good. Church people, we're really good about saying, hey... Brother, how you doing? 
It's good. It's good. I do it. I do it. We all do it. This isn't a fake. Things are good. This is looking at the blessings that God has given us, looking at the blessings God has given this church, looking at the blessings that God has given this world and pointing those things out. We do this thing, it's awesome, in our staff meetings every month where we look back at the month and we point out the positive things that have happened, whether it's in ministries or whether it's in our volunteers or just whatever. We point out those things, not because we're like gloating and like, ha ha, look what my ministry did, but because it's good. To have those things on the front of our mind. It's good to have those things that are true, that are noble, that are excellent, that are praiseworthy on our lips and out in the air. If you don't subscribe to the church's emails, I want to encourage you to subscribe to the church's emails. Because this is what Pastor Aaron said uh, just earlier this week. As I look back over the past few months, we have a lot to celebrate. We've baptized children and adults welcomed new members, discipled kids and teens through VBS and Tulsa missions, presented and commissioned our church planners for our Hispanic church plant for Tulsa, and sent out several mission teams for the world. These are only a few of the highlights that have occurred in the midst of our regular rhythms and worship and discipleship for all generations. Additionally, we know that many of you are regularly serving, not only inside the walls of the church, but with mission partners all over our city. All of this is possible only by the grace of God and your partnership. The church is doing awesome things. I've told Pastor Colin many times whenever we were uh, being interviewed for the kids director position and whenever we were, you know, trying to decide if this is where we wanted to go. One of the things that stood out to us the most about this church is the outreach. If you were here last week with the four Tulsa, you saw it. It's amazing what whenever the people of God come together with what God wants us to do, how many people can be blessed because we're being the hands and feet of Jesus. It's really easy to be bitter, but it's a lot better to be better. I want you to take that with you. It's easy to be bitter, but if we try, we can be better. Let's finish up Jonah today. Jonah chapter four, verse 10, it says, but the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you didn't tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also so many animals? The end. (laughs) That's it. That's how the book of Jonah ends. To us, to me, that's frustrating. Like there's no bow on it. There's no happy ending. But it ends with an important question to Jonah and to us. What is important? I believe that God loves people. Jesus said, there's two things. Love God, love your neighbor. Those two things, the whole law hinges on. Everything that is made up of what we believe as Christians is summed up in those two things. God cares about people. And for us, and I tell my kids this, my my kid kids and my church kids all the time, you are the only Jesus that some people will ever see. And that's terrifying. (laughs) But whenever we think about it like that, when we think about the grace that God has given us, the grace that God gave Jonah, why wouldn't we want that for everybody else too? It's our job not to save people, but to show them who Jesus is, the love that he has for us and the love that he has for them. God's inviting us just like he did with Jonah 
to be a part of something so much bigger than we could ever do on our own. So this morning, I want you to remember these. Recognize the grace that God's extended to you. Follow him with everything you have within you. And when God questions you, let it make you better, not bitter. And above all, love God. Because in doing so, you're going to be transformed into being more like him. And that'll help you love his people all the more. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you, God, that we can just... We can just imagine just a tiny part of how much you love us and how much you care about us and how much you want to be a part of our lives. Jesus, we pray this morning that we would grow in your grace and in your knowledge. That Jesus, it would just be so evident in our lives that you're a part of it, that other people are going to see it without us even having to say a word. God, help us to grow in our friendship with you and our relationship with you. God, help us each and every single day to listen to your voice, to hear the things that you want us to do, to hear the things that you don't want us to do. Help us, God, be so in tune with you that there won't be any doubt that we are your people. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for being there for us each and every single day. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen.